Well, we want to get into the Word of God today, and um, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of John, chapter 14. But in the Gospel of John, you'll find in the following chapter, in John 15, the immortal words of Jesus Christ. He said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus was directly re referencing his pending death on the cross, and uh, that was just sung about that we've thought about this morning already. And, and listen, Christ voluntarily laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all men, but there was also a, a challenge for his disciples to follow in his example in living for others and not for themselves. And that's what John 13 began to lay the foundation for, that Jesus would say, listen, uh, that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. That would be the, redeem the, the mark of that... Uh, Christian is that their example of love. Well, this is a def de defining characteristic of civilization in the, our uh, country today. And it's really been shaped by Christians. It's been shaped by Christ who laid down his, his life. And as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, we remember and honor the memory of those who, like President Abraham Lincoln described, gave the last full measure of devotion to their country. During the Battle of Gettysburg, 7,000 Union and Confederate soldiers lost their lives. Can you imagine that in one battle? Following the battle, President Lincoln addressed the crowds that day, and yet despite President Lincoln not being the keynote speaker for that event, uh, most people don't realize that uh, Edward Everett, uh, Everett was the keynote speaker, and he spoke for over two hours of 13,000 words. My sermon is not that long today, and everyone said, Amen. President Lincoln, though, everyone remembers this short address, about 270 words, and he was known well for this moment in November 19, 1863. And it's become one of the finest speeches in the history of, the, of, of all of America. I want to just quote a little portion of it today. He said, The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. What inspiring words as he stood there on that battlefield that was uh, just so freshly strewn with the uh, death of 7,000 men. And the challenge that President Lincoln put forward 159 years ago is our challenge today. And against the backdrop of a troubled nation in which we have seen trouble even arise out of this week, we must be uh, able to see that our comfort, our joy, the answers to our problems are not in more legislation but in Jesus Christ. You see, the means to resolve the trouble of this world are not going to be found in the political movements of our era, but it will be found in retreating to the safe place of Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we say, well, listen, uh, my kids are homeschooled. It doesn't apply to us. Or, you know, this doesn't really apply to us. And, and in Missouri, we've got a good conservative state. But listen, instead what we find is that the only hope that we have is not in complacency or in just apathy, but instead it's in Jesus Christ. And this, this truth of Christ must be shared with those 
around the world. You see, today, as we remember those fallen soldiers who gave their all, we also remember the one, the one that was hung up on a tree and gave his life for us. You see, the ultimate freedom is not found in our Constitution. The ultimate freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, then we have hope. And, and it doesn't matter the oppressive governments. I'm thankful for uh, uh, our missionaries that minister uh, among places that are oppressive. And I'm thankful that they continue with the gospel. But listen, why do they do that? Because their hope is not in their government. Their hope is in their God. Never before have I seen such a need for the people of God to gather strength and comfort from the Lord than right now. And the armies of Satan seem to be flexing their muscles and, and demonstrating their might. But I remind you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I remind you that we still serve a God who sits on his throne. He's not abdicated anything at this hour. And we must be reminded that we still serve a faithful God. And in John chapter 14, two weeks ago, we began a message that was just entitled, Comfort for Troubled Hearts. And as we look at that and we finish that message today, I want to remind you that even in this, on this Memorial Day, and we remember all that God has done for us, all that the soldiers who have given their lives have, have done for us, and we have great fond memories of those around us, let me just remind you that there is one that is even greater that we must find our source of strength and comfort, and His name is Christ. And so let's read His words in John chapter 14 as we gather strength from Him today. John 14, verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that a wonderful promise, church? And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas, like all of us, saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Isn't that just, just like us as people doubting sometimes and then later not being able to see by faith? And Jesus, in verse 9, responds to Philip, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? These words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. And very, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father." And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's stop there and let's have a word of prayer as we hear these words of Christ. Father, we thank you for John 14 and Lord, inspiring the Apostle John to take the time to record for us this intimate conversation between our Savior and His disciples. Lord, we thank you that even now in the hour in which we live and we say the chaos around us, that, Lord, these words speak peace to our troubled hearts. 
Lord, and we see the troubles that, that grow on a daily basis. Lord, we are thankful that we serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Father, we just bow before you, and today we ask you for help. Lord, the help that you promise us in Hebrews 4.16, the help that you promise us other places as well. And we just ask you that now that you would draw our hearts close to you, that, Lord, we might not only find comfort, but strength and courage, Lord, to continue in your name. We pray these things in the powerful and blessed and wonderful name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we look in John 14, I want to give you a quick reminder that John 14 is on the eve of Jesus' death. As he begins to speak to his disciples, he has this earnest desire that his disciples would not be left comfortless. He wanted to remind them, listen, I'm with you every step of the way. Matter of fact, even though I'm going to depart from you physically, there will still be part of the Godhead with you, and his name is the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Comforter. He's the Guide. He is everything that you're going to need. And he teaches us about that in this passage later on. But in this moment, we see the foundational passage here where he begins to lay out the comfort that we have and the words of encouragement encouragement that we can take from this source of strength, we can, we can go forward even in the midst of troublous times and say, Lord, even though these are perilous times in which we live today, we can be reminded that you are the God that says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed by the problems and anxieties of life, but instead rest in me and I'm going to give you uh, six reasons why. And so Christ begins to get, uh, bring comfort to our troubled hearts. Two weeks ago, we shared with you the beginning of this message, and as we did so, we shared with you that Christ brings comfort from His presence. Aren't you thankful that He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Listen, the world may march its armies against us, but we have a God that says, I am your help. You see, he is the one that said, I am your shepherd. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, that's what Jesus Christ says in verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm right here with you through this and through this time of turmoil. He says, don't you worry, don't be anxious, but instead trust me. Trust me through this all. But he also reminds them, not only of his presence through this, as we shared last time, but also of his preparation Verses 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And we shared with you a little bit about what heaven would be like. In Revelation 22 and 21, just really open our eyes to the glories of heaven. And I think the words kind of don't really allow us to see everything that heaven's going to be like. I can only imagine what it will be like to be in the presence of God Almighty. Just as Isaiah was there in Isaiah 6, he described his reaction was just overwhelmed by his sin, overwhelmed by, the, uh, by who he was because uh, of Christ's presence in his life. And, and I just want to remind you that heaven is so worth uh, the, uh, the life that we live here on this earth. Imagine, as a matter of fact, Paul even wrote later in 2 Corinthians, he said, listen, all of the problems of this world will be forgotten when we enter into his presence. You see, he's preparing a place like none other. He calls it, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. In other words, we could say it like this. He has built a room or addition on for you. I was visiting with one of our members, Sister Sherry, a while ago, and she was sharing with me her kids are fixing to build an add-on for her to live in with them. And I couldn't help but think about this passage, and I thought, you know, God is not just making us a separate place where we have to be away from him, but instead he is bringing us into his home, into his presence, into the very place where he is. Is. And that's what makes heaven so wonderful. 
I tell you, it's not just I get to be in heaven with the streets of gold. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. I, I, that doesn't matter. But I get to be in the presence of God Almighty. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. But we also see the third thing I want to begin to share with you today. And that's in verses uh, 4 through 6 here today as we see His proclamation. You see, the words that Jesus Christ shares here, this proclamation He makes in verse number 6 specifically, is something that brings us great comfort. You see, because Christ shared that He would would return for them, one, and this is a reference that points to the rapture of the church and is calling uh, the church to meet Him in the air. And then He promised, I will come again, receive you to Myself. But then in verse number 6, as we see Thomas asking him this question, how can we get to where you're going? How can we uh, be there? And Jesus made this great proclamation, I am the way the truth and the life. Jesus knew that he was about to die, but their knowledge stopped at death. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had no firsthand experience of what was going to lay beyond the grave. And so when Jesus proclaimed uh, to them what was going to happen, Thomas and his question really brings clarity to us today because Jesus alone is the only way to God because he alone is truth And He alone is the one that possesses the life of God. And so we're not going to access God through Buddha or through uh, um, Hinduism or through uh, any other means or method, only through Christ. So God is only approachable exclusively through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He said in other places, I am the door of the sheep. He said other places and all others that try to come in are thieves and robbers. Those that try to come in any other way but through Christ, he says those will be cast out. And you see only one that enters through the door of Jesus Christ will be saved. And so we see this in the Bible and you can look here in some scriptures with me. Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 12 in your Bible. We see the way of salvation uh, the Bible talks about as a narrow gate, a narrow path and entered in through. And so there are few there be that find it, but he says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, listen, there's no other name that you call upon. There's, uh, and we have some dear friends that uh, hold the different faiths, and as they uh, shared with me, as I uh, talked with them, they said, listen, I pray to Mary. And I said, listen, uh, Mary can't hear you. The only one that can is, this, is Jesus Christ. You must call upon Him to be your Savior. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, he said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. And so again, God makes it very clear as Jesus lays this out for Nicodemus. He says, listen, there is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, again, this, uh, again reinforces this truth here. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then 1 Timothy 2, 5, the Word of God says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, there's no one else. And so Jesus Christ makes this exclusively bold proclamation. And this world, the world hates this proclamation. I'm going to tell you, when, uh, when, when I encounter people and I share the gospel with people, and oftentimes uh, they scoff at the idea that there is, we believe that there's only one way to heaven. But listen, it's not my belief. It's what Jesus Christ preached when he said, I am the way. And you can go back to the Greek, and guess what it's going to say? I am the way. It's going to be the same over and over and again. And no matter how you cook, cut the cookie, it's always going to be Christ and Christ alone. 
But today we live in a postmodern society and a society to teach that there are many paths to religious truth. But let me just say this very boldly. That is a satanic lie. There is one way to Jesus, one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Uh, commentator F.F. F. Bruce said he, talking about Jesus, is in fact the only way by which men and women may come to the Father. There is no other way. If this seems offensively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate Word, the revealer of the Father. If God has no avenue of communication with mankind apart from His Word, man has no avenue of approach to God apart from that same Word who became flesh and dwelt among us in order to supply such an avenue of approach. You see, Jesus alone reveals God and no one who rejects his proclamation of truth can legitimately know, claim to know God. You see, it was because early Christians taught that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation that early, and you can look in the book of Acts, you can find that they were just simply known as the way. These are the ones that followed the way. And, and they, these are the ones that subscribed to the way. Why? Because they were exclusive. They were exclusives in, the, in their belief system. They said, it's Jesus and Jesus only. He's the way to heaven. He's the way to God. And you can't get there any other way. You can keep all the commandments of the law, but listen, it will not save you. You can try to uh, be baptized and join a, a church, but listen, none of those things will save you. Only Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else comes to the, uh, comes to the Father but by Him. And so if you're trusting in anything today outside of Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're trusting in vain. There is no comfort. There's no, uh, there's no way for you to be able to say, listen, I'm at peace in my life in the midst of these troublesome times, in the midst of these perilous times without Jesus Christ. There's no comfort there because nothing is sufficient but Jesus. Christian, we take comfort in the fact that our Savior, that when we put our faith in our Savior, our faith is not misplaced. Rather, when we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we find that we have comfort in the fact that He is sufficient for this life and the next. But we also take comfort in His person. He begins to, to teach us a little bit more about Himself in verses 7 through 11 here in this passage. And you know, it's one thing to make a bold, bold proclamation, but if you don't have a life that backs it up, it means nothing. In uh, the 90s, I remember watching uh, on uh, television David Koresh and the standoff there that happened in Waco, Texas. And of course, that was not far from my hometown where we grew up, about 45 minutes or an hour's drive. Uh, today, it might be an hour and a half with all the traffic down in that area. But I remember uh, just watching the siege of this, uh, this Branch Davidian and, and all that was going on there. This was a religious sect, uh, and it was an offshoot of the Davidian uh, Seventh-day Adventists, and Koresh claimed to be their final prophet. But his life didn't align with what he claimed. For example, he created controver controversy in their religious cult, he also had uh, accusations of polygamy. There was also accusations of uh, sexual abuse with children and all kinds of things that had happened there. But the person of, of David Koresh didn't back up what he claimed to be the final prophet. Well, when Jesus begins to talk to uh, Philip and he begins to talk to uh, Thomas and he begins to share with the disciples that were gathered around him that day, he, he said, listen, this is my bold proclamation, but I want you to go back and take comfort in what you've seen in me as a person. 
He said, because my life backs up, my words backs up what I'm saying. And he says in verse number 7, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And so Jesus was saying, listen, just like he said in verse number 1, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, listen, we are one together. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This was his claim to deity. Many times people will say in the Bible, uh, God never claims to be, uh, Jesus never claimed to be God. But if you look at the words of Christ, you'll see that the Jews of his time realized that Jesus made exclusive claims that he was indeed God. And this is one of those times in verse number 7. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because we are one. We, I am God just like, uh, just like the Father is God. And so he calls them back to be reminded then of his person, to take comfort in the fact that they had seen him. They'd heard his words. They had viewed his miracles. And now those things validated the message of truth that he shared with them now. Verse number 8, though, Philip, he's like many of us here. He said, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. If you just show us the Father, just give us some sort of a grand heavenly vision, and, 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 and then we'll, we'll believe you. And Jesus, you know, I just, love, I just love Christ's response here. And he looks at, I can just see him. He was probably a lot more patient than I am. But Philip, he just looks at Philip and says, what are you thinking have I been so long with you? Have, have I been with you in such a long time, and yet, yet thou hast not known me? Have, have you not seen and realized all the things that I'm saying now have been validated by my life and by my words and by my actions? Remember, Christian, who Christ is. Remember what you read in the Word about what He has done and His words that He has uh, proclaimed and what He offers for us today. He's not, one, uh, he's not the one that should, uh, we should forget. He's not the one that we should neglect. He's not the one that we should uh, walk away from. But Because as we remember the character of Christ, it brings us comfort because we learn that He is who He is. For example, He is the Adonai. Think about this. this. This word means He is Lord over all things in our life. Have you thought about that? Have you given that much con, uh, consideration in your life? That God, that Jesus Christ is our Adonai. He's Lord over all things. And sometimes we approach a problem and we think, Lord, uh, this thing seems bigger than, every, than even you. But greater is He that is in me. He is the Adonai. He's bigger. He is our El Shaddai. He's great and glorious. He is wonderful, and we can trust in Him. We can find a place of refuge in Him. I love uh, the, the words and the names of God in the Old Testament, and the, as we call Him, the Jehovah Jireh. In other words, He's the provider. As Abraham offered that uh, Isaac on the altar, he, uh, God provided the ram, and He was called the Jehovah Jireh, the provider of all that was needed in His life. You see, when we go through a time and we think, Lord, how in the world are we going to get through this? We can cry out to the One who is still our provider today. He is also Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer. Man, how many times we go through life with broken hearts. How many times we go through situations and uh, there's the, 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 the burdens that we carry want to overwhelm our life. And I'm just reminded that we still have a God who heals. He's still the God that provides us strength. He's still the God today of, of, uh, of our life. He is our Jehovah Nissi. This means He is our banner in the uh, as as the armies would march into battle, they would carry that banner before them. 
and that would go before proclaiming uh, who they were, what they believed. And listen, uh, God is our banner. He's the one that goes before us into the battle. He is the one that will sustain us. When we get discouraged, they would look up and they would see that banner still waving. And they said, listen, I'm not going to give up. I'm fighting for something that is worthy of my life and sacrifice. You see, that's who God is. He's our banner. He goes before us into the battle. He's our Jehovah Shalom. Man, what a blessing to know that He is our peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In John 16 and verse 33, He said, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's your promise. But be of good cheer. He says, I have overcome the world. You see, He is our peace. He's our Jehovah Sidkenu. He's our righteousness. I, man, what a blessing to know that when I come into the presence of God, He doesn't see me in all of my sin. He doesn't see me in my ugliness and my filth. But when I stand before the presence of God, He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I tell you, folks, that is amazing that God could see me, a sinner such as I, clothed in the righteousness of our Savior. He is our Jehovah Shema, the ever-present one. He never is going to leave me. He's not going to abandon me in my hour of need. He's not going to abandon me when, and whenever things are difficult or when things are good. He is the same in my life. But He's also my Jehovah Ra, which is our shepherd. I'm thankful that we still have a shepherd, shepherd that walks with us. Still have, thankful that I have a shepherd that leads us beside the still waters, that brings me into those green pastures. Boy, I love this time of year. We drive uh, down the roads heading to the house and the, the grass is about this tall in some of those pastures. And man, I, I told my wife, I said, I don't remember ever seeing uh, hay meadows that were so tall, all you see is the shoulders and the heads of the cows sticking up above them. I said, this is a good year. If I was a farmer, I'd be rejoicing right now for all, all the good hay. But listen, our Lord, He leads us. He is the one that we need. And as we think about the character and the person of Jesus Christ, it brings us great comfort because in those moments, in those hours of our deepest and darkest need, may, may we come back to Jesus, may we come back to God and be able to say, listen, you are still God. His statement in verse 7 was nothing less than a claim to full deity. He was saying, in making himself equal with the Father, he said he is the only way to God because he is God. And this truth separates all the false views of Christ and true believers today. Many throughout history and, and today have regarded Jesus as nothing more than a good man, maybe an exemplary, virtuous, moral, and religious teacher. But listen, that is impossible. No one who claimed to be God incarnate could ever uh, be a good man if, it, if this was a false claim. If he knew his claim was false, he would be an evil deceiver. If he sincerely believed it, uh, it was true. When it was not, he would be a lunatic. Listen, Christ isn't a liar and he's not a lunatic. He's not insane. Instead, he is the Lord. He is exa exactly who he claimed to be. He says in John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You see, the disciples still struggle to grasp this concept. And verse 8 points to that. They, they, even, it was only until after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and even His ascension and the coming of the Spirit of Pentecost, that the disciples would finally understand Jesus' deity and His relationship to the Father. So perhaps as Philip replied, he had in mind the theophanies of the Old Testament. Remember? 
He said, remember, as, as God revealed himself in the Old Testament, Philip was probably saying, hey, just like they did in the Old Testament, could you just show us God here? Would you show us, reveal yourself? But the Lord had poured his life into these men, just as he's poured his life into our life. And he says, and they had lived in that day in the presence of the, uh, of the image of God himself. The one in whom Colossians 2.9 says, Dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And they were able to bask in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, as according to Hebrews 1.3. And yet, despite being with Him for so long, the disciples still did not fully comprehend the truth of Jesus. Oh, church, may we not make that same mistake. May we, not, uh, may we take comfort in the fact that Jesus is God. He is still on the throne. He's still the Lord of our life. We can still come to Him. We can still find rest in Him. He's still the God of all comfort. And, and I just want to encourage you, church, that these uh, powerful and divine words of Jesus Christ here, they speak comfort to our hearts and minds even in 2022. When it seems like our world may be crumbling, we have a God who is still faithful. He still loves us, and He still uh, is on the throne today. And so I pray that you will take comfort in who Christ is. But also he shares with us in verse 12 that we can take comfort in his power. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now no doubt in this room we would probably all agree, God is able to do all things. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 3.20 says, He can do a seating abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so we would have no doubts or problems, most of us in here, being able to say, God is all-powerful. And, and Jesus, being the Son of God, we lump Him in that same place. But the astonishing promise is that God would also work in the believers' lives. Man, I, I get weary uh, in our Christian walk. We all get weary in our Christian walk. And I, lo- and I go back sometimes to... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and I go there and I find where the Apostle Paul also got weary in, in his walk. And he, he went through a time of great testing and a great time of great trial. And when he went through that trial, what he found was, even in his we- weariness, when he approached the throne of grace and he said, Lord, I need you in this hour, God didn't remove the trouble that he was in. Instead, God gave him grace. He sustained him through it. You see, what he realized was, in my weakness, then I found strength. And when I couldn't go on, then I found that God could carry me along the way. And you see, that's what we find here as as Christ begins to speak to these believers. He says, listen, you may be in in a place where you don't understand this yet, but as you follow me, you're going to find there's strength there that you know not of. There's there's abilities there that we can't even describe. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, you'll see one illustration of that as Peter healed a man at Solomon's porch. He was able to walk by and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. Rise up therefore and walk. And he said, Listen, get up out of that, that, that sick bed and walk into the house of the Lord. But those physical miracles were not all that Christ had in mind. Since the apostles did more than just powerful miracles, what we see is that Christ was also referring to the miracle of salvation. See, Jesus never preached outside of Palestine, but his followers, they believed the gospel, and they spread the gospel throughout all the known world at that time. 
Jesus had a limited outreach to Gentiles, but the disciples, particularly Peter and Paul, would reach the Gentile world with the gospel, and lives would be changed. And, you know, as I was studying this week, uh, and I was just going back through the book of Acts in my personal Bible study, and I was just reviewing the power of God manifested there over and over and over again, I'm rem- I was reminded that, listen, Jesus truly was accurate when He said, greater works than these shall He do. And listen, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing greater than the miracle of salvation. And God wants you to be saved as well. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ's promise is is that He wants you to be saved. He desires for you to be born again. You see, that's the the power of God in our work and our life brings comfort when we put our faith in Him for salvation. But also see, finally, His promise. Verses 13 and 14 here today, there's comfort in the promise of Christ. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. As if His pledge to send the Holy Spirit to empower them wasn't enough, the Lord gave the disciples another incredible pledge here. And so during their time with Him, they depended on Christ for everything. Think about this. They'd walked with Him for three and a half years. Christ had been their supplier. He was there in the middle of the desert when there was no food, no McDonald's, no jack-in-the-box, none of those good good eats, man. Uh, There was no In-N-Out burger, kind of like here in Springfield. We need one of those here. Anybody have a clue? All right, good. Amen. If you've eaten there, you know what I'm talking about. But listen, it was just there was nothing there. And then in the midst of that crowd and over 5,000 men plus women and children there that day, Jesus Christ miraculously provided for them. But that wasn't the only thing that Christ did. In the middle of a storm when the ship was about to capsize, we find Jesus Christ there rises up and He walks across the water and meets them in the midst of their trouble. You see, over and over and over again, they found they relied upon Christ for everything in their life, whether it be sustenance or whether it be even... One time Christ paid the taxes for Peter, whether it be the tax money or whether it be uh, calm in the midst of the storm. You see, what, he found, what they found was that Christ could be trusted. But Christ was about to leave them. What was going to happen to them if, if suddenly this, this person who had carried them and sustained them had left them? Where, where would they go from here? And so Jesus, anticipating this concern, promised even after he was gone, he would never leave them. Anticipating this, he would continue to supply the disciples' needs from heaven. I remind you of a truth in Philippians 4.19, But my God, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm going to get to drive a Cadillac. It doesn't mean I'm going to live in the biggest house on Main Street. But what it does mean is that God's going to supply the needs for this life as I, and I give myself faithful to Him. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. You see, the ultimate purpose for Christ's gracious provision is true of everything that God does, is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, to ask in Jesus' name is not something frivolously I just throw at the end of my prayer. It's not just, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we do that as we pray. We tack it on to the end of a prayer. Maybe we think that's a magic formula that obligates God to grant every selfish wish and request that I make. But instead, when we pray in Jesus' name, it means something different. It means to make requests consistent with God's will and the purposes of His kingdom. You see, in His model prayer, Jesus taught His followers to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest, and sometimes I'm guilty of not praying thy kingdom come, but my kingdom come. 
May we instead say, Lord, if I'm going to truly pray in your name, let it be your kingdom, your will, your desires blade out in my life. Secondly, we also see it's to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. Listen, without Christ, I'm undone. We gather, oftentimes some, some men drag me in the office and they want to pray with me before church. And well, It's been a, a sweet time. And I tell you, as we pray together, it's not uncommon for us to say, Lord, we need you today. We can't do this without you. We're unworthy. We're nothing without you. When I pray in Christ's name, I'm saying, Lord, I can't do this. I need you alone. It's to express a desire that God would be glorified. You see, sometimes we're not seeking our, His glory, we're seeking ours. Our prayers sometimes can be selfish and they're focused on me instead of on the Lord. But Christ brings His disciples back to this place and says, Listen, you want comfort? Seek me. Seek me first in the kingdom of God. He said, I'll take care of the rest. So as Christ readied his disciples for the departure, he emphasized, I'm, I've not forgotten you. I'm here to comfort you. Elisha Hoffman was born May 7th, 1839, in Pennsylvania. His father was a minister, and Elisha followed the Christ at a young age. He put his faith in him, and he attended the Philadelphia Public Schools there, and he studied science, then he pursued the classics at Union Seminary. And then he also worked for 11 years with the Association's Publishing House in Cleveland, Ohio. And then following the death of his, of his wife, he returned to Pennsylvania and deba- devoted 33 years to pastoring Benton Harbor Presbyterian Church. Now Hoffman's pastime was writing hymns, and many of these hymns were inspired by incidents in his pastoral life. And one day, for example... He was calling on the destitute of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and he met a woman there uh, whose depression seemed beyond cure. And she opened her heart and poured out to him all of her troubles and all of these sorrows that were just pent up there. And she just was wringing her hands and she said, What shall I do? Oh, what shall I do? And Pastor Hoffman knew what she would do. For he had learned what it was to go through a time of, of trusting in the Lord and just relying upon Him and finding God's comfort. And he said to the woman, he says, You cannot do anything better than to take your sorrows to Jesus. You must tell it to Jesus. Suddenly, this lady's face brought up and she said, Yes, that's it. I must tell Jesus. Her words were echoed in Hoffman's eyes and the Lord almost immediately gave him words to a song that we still sing today. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Maybe you, like this little lady, has felt overwhelmed by the burdens and the problems and and the things in your life. And I just want to remind you that Christ's message of comfort for your heart is for you today. Not just for the disciples then, but for us today. And maybe today you need to come to this old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, I've carried this burden for too long. Lord, I've, I've tried to do it my own way. Lord, I'm just trying to go my own direction. And God, no longer is it my will be done. Now it's thy will be done. God, I just want to truly give my life to Jesus Christ in everything that I can do today. And so God offers comfort for you. But maybe even more than that, you know you need to be saved. There's nothing greater than putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He offers you a home in heaven that's beyond anything, any of the splendors of this world, and He offers it to you freely. It's been bought, it's been paid for, the title deed is ready to be signed, 
And it just requires you to come and put your faith in Christ. Would you bow your head with me today? Our Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. Lord, we need you, Lord.